Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. Welcome to Trap One, the second most popular podcast in St. Vincent and the Grenadines this month. A big hello to all our listeners there. I'm Mark. I'm Adam. I'm Jeff. And I'm Pete. Welcome, guys. On this episode, we'll be talking about the beautiful reprint of the 1960s TV21 Dalek comic strips that were recently released by the Doctor Who magazine. Uh, But before that, we've just had our first official glimpse of the newly redesigned Daleks on the cover of the new Radio Times. any any hot takes on these, Jeff? I love it. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> it's the danger with redesigning the Daleks is they don't really need redesigning. But if this is going to be a one-off, a, a unique style of Dalek, a type, a type that has a role, serves a function, then I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it. It's kind of hard to tell just from one Radio Times cover. It, it, I mean, it looks good. I think I slightly prefer my Daleks to be a bit chunky because I always like to think they're like in mini tanks. But, you know, it's difficult to say until we see it on screen and, and doing what it's doing. But no, it looks like it, 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 it's a nice, nice bit of design. I think it's outrageous. It's disgraceful that they're daring to tamper with perfection in this way, and it should be about No, sorry, I was just trying to make this podcast a bit controversial. <laughs> yeah, you both pretty much said what I think already on this one. But yeah, I think it looks. I've worked, at first, I was I was quite mm, looks a bit sort of weedy, but then you see I've seen other pictures where it's got the big the, the our, our familiar chunky ones in the background. So I think it's just a, a, a nifty little nipper of a Dalek, isn't it? Maybe they're trying to do a baby Yoda. And it's a baby Dalek. That's going to be the big meme of Christmas, and everyone will want stuffed ones next year. But um, yeah, it looks like a, just like a nifty little um, outrider type thing, doesn't it? Yeah, because the one at last Christmas was a was a recon Dalek, wasn't it? Like it was, um, you know, kind of uh, doing missions behind enemy lines and that type of thing. So maybe that's why it's a little bit sort of sleeker and uh, a bit more manoeuvrable, maybe. Um, but you're right, Adam. Like until we see them moving around and and, and things like that, you get the the full impression. Um, I called them the eye dialects earlier. Got that sort of like uh, like sleek, modern kind of Apple design. Um, and I wondered if part of the story might be that they're designed to be more attractive to humans by uh, sort of uh, mimicking technology like that. Um, it's quite a Doctor Who thing of, of making the familiar seem more frightening, isn't it? So. Yeah, well, maybe the Daleks just need to get down some quite narrow corridors in this one, and they have like, bring, yeah. bring them. <laughs> Well, so it'll all depend on the con. Obviously, it's all about the story, isn't it? and if there's a good story about why there's a Dalek that looks like that, then it'll be brilliant. That's it. There's an interview with um, Chris Chibnall doing the rounds at the moment, saying that it is a plot point that they look like the the uh, the, the scrapyard sort of Dalek from from last Christmas. So, uh, it is the plot see. point that they spent so much money on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the radio control that they just had to use it again to get their money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, of course, yeah, because it's the first time we'd actually had a Dalek without anyone actually in it. Spoiling, yeah. spoiling the illusion. <laughs> you couldn't see John Scott Martin's head in between the mesh, <laughs> wobbling around. So, uh, from from the very latest Daleks to some of the earliest um, with the the Dalek comics. Uh, these were previously reprinted as the Dalek Chronicles back in 1994, I think. Uh, I think you said you had this, Jeff. 
back in the day. Yes, yeah, we had a conversation about it, didn't we? Um, just before this was announced and came out. Um, but yeah, that because I'd originally... I think it must have been about the same time. I used to buy the uh, classic comics, the Doctor Who classic comics, um, mm-hmm. which was reissuing those, uh, I think, on the back page, wasn't it? Um, in the same format, that single-page format, one one per week. Um, and so I was hooked from the first issue of that. Um, so when that came out as, like, the bumper edition, yeah, definitely had that. <laughs> Because yeah, there wasn't that many issues of classic comics, was there? So I guess they never, they probably never finished the uh, the full story. I want to hazard a guess that there was about thirty in total, maybe a few more. Um, but it, it didn't have a long lifespan, unfortunately. Even though it was lovely. Yeah. Was, uh... Yeah. Well, one of these was on the backstrip of the first ever um, DWM that I bought in the uh, in, in, in Davison era time. Um, unless my memory's playing tricks on me, uh, it was the, the, the first DWM I ever got was the one with Richard Mace on the front from uh, Visitation. And I think uh, it's in my parents' loft, so I can't be certain, but I think that was the one that had uh, an episode of this on the on the back where we first meet the uh, the K2 robot. Um, so they were it was all part of this mind-blowing Doctor Who world that I was discovering all at once that had like the time the tides of time in in, in the comic strip in the magazine and then Black Orchid on TV and then these robots and it was just so much like we think now about um, how, how weird it must be to be a new fan diving into a, a complicated uh, show like this with so many strands but it's always been like that really like, it's just been like that for a very long time as well there was a lot to take in uh, I was aware of them. Uh, I think I actually first read them. Somebody sent me a scan of the of the classic comics reprint, um, entirely legally, obviously, um, a year or two back, and I read them then. Uh, but you know, it was really good going. For, this is the second time I've read them for these, and it's really nice, you know, having read them once before, going through them again, and just going, ah, I see. This is David Whitaker working out all his ideas for <laughs> these <laughs> stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's an alternative genesis of the Daleks that we get here. Um, where the Thals don't really play much of a part, do they? they they're kind of mentioned. Um, and then it's um, it's not even really the war uh, directly that, that sort of causes the mutations. It's this uh, meteor storm that, that blows up the neutron bombs for the war. So, yeah, it's quite different. And then the Thals just, yeah, they, they talk about... Um, trying to find them, see if they're still alive and kill them, but then just totally forget about them, don't they? I, I was wondering about that. And I, I think it might be because, I guess, in the Daleks uh, TV, it's like the Thals meet the Daleks for the first time since they mutated, so maybe they didn't want to contradict that. But, yeah, you're right, because I think they get they literally get men- – they never appear on, on panel. They're mentioned two, three times very early on, and then they never come up again, even when the Daleks are, like, exploring Scarrow near the end of the – the thing it's just it's never even mentioned but i guess you know i guess they cared about continuity <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a really good point in their own way yeah because that would have um contradicted the uh yeah the, the first episode of the, the dead planet wouldn't it if they'd uh, um revealed that that they didn't know what those looked like unless they went to huge lengths to never actually see them so they could just think that they were hideously <laughs> mutated but um yeah why do that <laughs> Or maybe it was too difficult to draw the Thal's trousers with their funky leather. <laughs> <laughs> I complain about Jamie's tartan for the animation. Maybe that was the 60s equivalent. And they, uh, so they, they live on the continent of Darren as well, which uh, is quite amusing. 
Um, okay. Near the island of Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does, yeah, does, was that one of those words that wasn't a name at the time? Did, did, did Darren only catch on as a name in the 70s? Maybe something like that. So it, it, it might have seemed quite... Um, you don't get many Darrens in the 1950s or 60s. Inspired maybe, maybe like this. Nice. Yeah, maybe it was sounding more exotic back then. Is it? Is this like the way uh, the name Wendy came from Peter Pan? Do you think Darren originated as uh, <laughs> from this? <laughs> the maybe, maybe it's a different pronunciation. Maybe it's Darreen or something. <laughs> it's like the like so the um, space 1999 where they visit the planet Luton because they just <laughs> <laughs> on a roadside. It sounded really spacey. And there's a lot of really spacey-sounding words in this, isn't it? They've really got, oh got, yeah, they've really got the knack. <laughs> but you can you can tell that it wasn't Terry Nation who wrote most of them because he doesn't put the word space in front of anything. Like you don't get like it's it, it doesn't. There's not one single like space geologist or anything in it. It's... <laughs> That's true, and not, and not a single Dell Tarrant is there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a space captain. I think I think there's one, and I think that's an earlier one, probably when Nation was still taxiing over half a page written on the bog roll for them to work on. Yeah, there's some Daleks. They have a fight. You can fill in the details. <laughs> Deadly jungle? Question mark. Countdown. It's bold. There are a few plagues. There are a few plagues going through it. So uh, I like the rust plague. That's my favourite. Yeah, killer rust. That, yeah. I can, you can imagine him over a pine going, what would metal Daleks really, really hate? <laughs> rust! Rust. <laughs> the stories broadly fall into two camps, don't they? There's the Daleks sort of uh, having to cope with some kind of... Uh, strife in terms of something uh, like the like the rust plague that they've accidentally created or zeg or monsters from the lake of mutations or the, dealing with the ramifications of their own ham-fisted attempt to <laughs> uh, invade other planets <laughs> um <laughs> which do you think makes a better dalek story I think I prefer. I, I really like the ones where they're having to deal with their own stuff. The ones that I, I'd say actually the ones that feel really Whitakerisk. So like you mentioned Zeg turning up, who has got the line at one point, "I feel dynamic," and you're like, "Of course you do, sweetie." Um, but it's <laughs> like that, and and there's another favourite is one where a Dalek suddenly develops the concept of beauty and is like, "We must protect." Shoots another Dalek for going over a flower. Yeah. Which, the flower again, power Dalek. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And I, I again, that feels very David Whittaker, very. But uh, I think those, because yeah, the ones where they're going to invade other planets are fine, but they do keep losing, which seems a bit of a shame <laughs> in a Dalek comic. They're not very good at it, are they? And they always seem to end up having to go back to Scarray to fix something that's gone wrong in the Golden <laughs> Emperor's absence. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah. he's the only one that actually comes up with anything. <laughs> my favourite thing is when they go back to Scarrow after two sort of abortive attempts to invade other planets and uh, the Emperor's back on the surface and he watches the fleet coming in and he goes ah my invincible space fleet and he just wants one of the Daleks to turn to him and go where's the rest of them because they just lost loads in these uh, in these the adventures yeah. oh, the, the, first, 
the first two attempts at conquest both hit on the um, the snag of uh, the Emperor Dalek saying, well, we've pretty much got this lot wrapped up, so I'm going to take most of the fleet home and just leave two darks <laughs> behind to finish off killing these creatures. <laughs> and it never goes well. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not great when you can be outwitted by the mechanoids. I mean, that's not that's not a good look for any conquering space race. It's like... I kind of like that the mechanoids have their own home planet. Uh, I find that fascinating because we know that they were sent by Earth colonists to set up colonies on um, planets that needed terraforming. But no, in here, they're totally different. They're, they are their own race, their own species of robot. Um, I love that. I'd love to know if it was Terry Nation pushing to have them in there, whether it was like I could, because he, he obviously had a good couple of weeks on the licensing fees um, on that one. But it's just, yeah, they feel a bit like, because I presume he's not writing the script by the time, because they turn up fairly long, late into it. And I just presume he was just like, David, could you put the mechanoids in trying to sell some toys? Great. Because <laughs> you know? you're right, they don't match anything. that they, they, They're nothing like the ones we see on TV. I mean, you can understand what they're saying, for one thing. Yeah, they're quite chatty. <laughs> <laughs> that was a problem with a lot of these Dalek alternatives they tried to come up with, though, wasn't it? With the mechanoids and the chumblies and the quarks, is that they weren't sort of an autonomous race. They were, uh, you know, they were working for, mm. for for other races, so they they couldn't really have the same kind of backstory and civilization and, and stuff. So, uh, I suppose the mechanoids you have to sort of cut them free of that, like you say, the the, the background of being. Uh, designed by humans to, to clear planets and to terraform to to being their own their own thing. Well, it's a bit like in the Doctor Who comic at the time when the quarks turn up without the dominators and the quarks are something like this major threat that keep turning up and not a dominator in sight. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work so well. I can't see quarks really being a, a, an invading force across the galaxy ever. <laughs> Well, I think there was someone in the Doctor Who production office saying something similar that uh, brought an end to their relationship with uh, Hales- with the writers, wasn't it? Because <laughs> Lincoln and Halesman really wanted them to be the new the, the new Daleks, didn't they? But uh, it did not. It was not to be. And that's why we got no more Yetis neither. <laughs> yeah, because they, they came the closest, I think. There was a third Yeti story being discussed at one point mm. um, that, that never came to fruition. Yeah, because Pertwee's first um, f- first photo call was with a Yeti, wasn't it? I mean, they may have just had the costume around, but it implied that they were uh, they were a going concern still. They've always had an enduring popularity, haven't they, the Yeti? And again, another robot race that, mm. <laughs> that threatened to dominate, although this time controlled by a sentience, at least. But it's weird, isn't it? The, the robots never quite work. The only one that's really pulled it off isn't a robot, and that's the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. It's something to do with it is something to do with being able to have an eat a conversation with some an evil person, isn't it? The, the, this the leader of these baddies needs to be have a personality, which is what these Daleks have really got. They're, they don't need a Davros, do they? Because they're they're perfectly capable of uh, of getting excitable and and, and <laughs> melodramatic in their dialogue. <laughs> My favourite, I've noted, I wrote my favourite, um, my favourite line from the Emperor Dalek is, emergency, a giant electric eel is about to attack me. Hurry up with the magnetizer. <laughs> oh, I, I love like, that one. I like the little speech bubble that says, help, just at yes, the end I, of the script as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cracked up at reading that today. Yeah, it is just the help. <laughs> it just sometimes slips into being like um, Captain Mannering a little bit from the dad's arm. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but in space. <laughs> but these, these Daleks are, are doing things that, that TV Daleks just can't do because of the physical limitations of the prop. The, the duel between the Emperor and Zeg is probably my favourite bit in the whole thing. Just seeing them out and about on the surface of the planet fighting over lava pits and acid pits and what I mean. I think that's fantastic. I think that just adds to the magic of it. You see, the, there's a little, there's a lovely panel where you see the Emperor Dalek zooming towards an old disused building and there's dust streaks coming off behind him. So he's obviously powering. And you could never get that with a TV Dalek. And that's why it works better as a comic than it would have if Terry Nation had got his way and got a spin-off series. Yeah, if that Emperor Dalek had been made out of balsa wood and, and wobbling across the studio, they they could have they could have put everything into it, and it, and, we, and it might have been wonderful, but um, but it would have been a bit risky. Whereas whereas here, yeah, in in, in a picture like that one, it's just uh, your, your imagination fills it in flawlessly, doesn't it? It leads you exactly to the right image. What year yeah. was the first Dalek movie? Because would this have been the first time that that people would have seen the Daleks in color? Yeah, it must have been because sixty yeah. six was it the. 65 or 66, I think, was the first Dalek movie, and this came out in 64, right. first issue. So, yeah, first colour Daleks. Yeah, this, come, this comes out just after Dalek Invasion of Earth has been on TV, I think. Um, and, and then it was a little, and then it was just shortly after that that the first movie came out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is for people's first chance to discover that they really are red, which I always thought. As a kid, my definitive image of a Dalek was that they were red. I don't know where specifically got that from. But in, in the Dalek books of the time, they said Daleks couldn't see the colour red. So presumably yeah. those are special invisible Daleks that they're convinced <laughs> that really no one can see. <laughs> Stealth Dalek, the technology is perfect. <laughs> I enjoyed reading them and not not knowing how long each story was going to be because I haven't really done I didn't know much about like that kind of thing and and so you know some of them are really long there's there's one that's about eleven episodes I think but others are as short as four or five but mostly it's somewhere in between and uh, when you turn the page and discover that you're on a a, a run up to a to, you can just tell when a final episode is is brewing and uh, uh, it's really it's really clever. But you also know the right, yeah. The writers are sort of presumably writing it with a bit of an open. Oh God, how many weeks has this one got to go on for? Oh right, they've discovered a new weakness. That thing didn't work. <laughs> also, those cliffhanger endings as well, aren't there? Yes, yes. Essentially, that's the one thing that makes it feel proper Doctor Who, doesn't it? <laughs> Even though Doctor Who doesn't yeah. have a copyright on that, it still feels. <laughs> there is a lot more effort gone into them than than you would expect. I think, isn't it? About the quality of the artwork. And, and the attention to detail, there's, there's quite a bit of continuity and things like that. When you think like the one of the latest stories, they have the the original Dalek race who they're not Khalids in this other, they're still Daleks. Um, but the design is is very much marries up with those first ones, which I guess would have been um, a year or two before. Well, what I love about those when the those three. Uh, scientists from the Dalek race come back is you can kind of given what we we're just talking about about these Daleks being great but slightly incompetent and these original Daleks come back and one of them goes I'm going to betray you and get the power of the Dalek oh, I've been killed and then another one like two stories later goes I'm going to betray you and it's like have you learned nothing <laughs> they will kill you again it's just like how smart were you were you as a race when you were called a scientist I mean what's, what what level is that to reach you know <laughs> 
G- GCSE grade D. <laughs> There's a, quite a lot of that generally, isn't there? In the in the races that they meet, there's always somebody who's willing to sell them out uh, to the Daleks to try and either. Uh, I think there's only the um, I can't I'm not even sure I pronounce it, but the the race who live in the invisible solar system, where oh, they've yeah. got uh, they've got all the history in their minds, um, that, which was a, a nice idea. I thought it's, it's something that could uh, you know sustain a, a Doctor Who story longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the only ones where there isn't somebody that's willing to just betray their own race the minute the Daleks land. To, uh, to try and get a bit of power. Do you think uh, the facts, what occurred to me in that with the invisible planet, I was thinking like, this feels familiar. And I thought, oh yeah, Magician's Apprentice. Is this, was this a subtle reference? Because, um, uh, yeah. you know, the Daleks have made Scara invisible. And I was something like, ah, oh, so these are still in continuity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, that's true. There are so many seeds that you can see sown throughout television Dalek stories from that come from obviously people either writing these comics <laughs> at the beginning or reading them growing up um, and you just know that they this has been a source material and an inspiration for so many people that have had anything to do with the Daleks over the years yeah and like you said that, that um the um the thing of having the traitor who uh who do who, who uh who was the one who betrays the the uh the invaded people is something that probably hadn't happened in doctor who up to that point because we hadn't really had any doctor who stories about big alien invasions actually happening up to that point really had actually when did we start no we didn't start getting that until Troughton years did we maybe the war machines but um but uh that becomes an absolute steadfast place of every base under siege story as well, doesn't it? And in a lot of these, it's um, it's Scarrow that's under siege, isn't it? It's the Dalek. There's there's one where they just, I mean, we give away a few spoilers, can't we? There's the one where they just blow up their own. Or one Dalek thinks he's the last Dalek left alive, so yeah. he just he just says, ah, "I shall just fl- throw myself into this volcano which is under our city, which we haven't mentioned previously, and destroy <laughs> all the invaders and all the and a few other Daleks, including the Emperor, are watching from a, a safe distance, and they're like, oh, well, we'll have to build a new city." And when they build it, it's exactly like the one from the Dead Planet. They build it exactly like that model. Which it's makes a lovely that. frame that is. That's a yeah. lovely shot of that city. I love it. They've gone to the. Um, I can't remember who's drawing it at that point, but um, he's definitely gone to the uh, the BBC picture archive and found a picture of the original Dalek City. I think. I think it's Ron Turner by then. I think. Um, I don't think it's uh, Richard Jennings anymore. Um, yeah, I think it's Ron Turner. But he's, oh, I love his stuff. And it towards the end where it starts looking like Dan Dare comics, and it's just like, this is amazing. This is stunning. And the Golden Emperor becomes uh, the Mekong <laughs> in all but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, oh, it's so stylized, but just bursts off the page, doesn't it? And that's the way that they've re-replicated these and brought them back and just sort of HD them. It's like Blu-ray set for comics. It's, uh, it's so pretty. Definitely, yeah. I compared it to the the Dalek Chronicles. Uh, I think I put a picture on Twitter as well. And it, it is. It's like uh, it's like going from a, it's like a second or third generation VHS story uh, that you get your hands on before the uh, the proper VHS releases to to go into one of the Blu-ray collection box sets, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, there's a little article in as well, isn't there, about the uh, the process of doing that and how 
how they found you know things like the, the the whites had all faded a little bit and so they had to compensate for that and they, they noticed bits where corrections had been made back in the day where ink had accidentally run into the wrong panel and you could and you could tell now that someone had, had touched it up back then to uh, and they had to just redo that because it, it, it had worn away or something so they've really put they've really put the work into making these look as good as they can it was a very quick turnaround because it was only a couple of months back. I think they were they were saying on Twitter that anyone got the original, anyone were looking for certain original pages, and then I was like, oh, okay, well that'll be like next year at some point, and that'll be out. And then it was like two months later, like right, it's out. Try and buy it now. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it sold out pretty quickly. Yeah, the announcement to the point when you could order it and buy it was it, it was like a few days, wasn't it? It was uh, it was an incredibly fast turnaround. But yeah, it does seem like um, demand might have been underestimated uh, to some extent. <laughs> As with most things, Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When will they learn? It does feel like that nowadays, doesn't it? With the uh, with the B and M sets and the Blu-ray collections and the uh, the supermarket finals and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, I suppose Doctor Who's sort of at the moment just in a little spot in between. It's not quite. It's not small enough to be niche like it was back in the nineties. It's still got a bigger appeal than it did at that point, but commercially. But at the same time, obviously, it's not a huge mega thing with with everyone queuing up to buy everything, uh, like it was in the in the crazy peaks. And so maybe it's just sort of between the two falls between the two, and, and the marketing people aren't quite sure how much to uh, how much to gamble because, of course, it's a huge gamble if you make too many and can't shift them. Mm-hmm. And I suppose with something like this, a reproduction of comics from the 60s, no matter how well it's presented, no matter how nice it looks, selling that to modern Doctor Who fans who have Titan Comics, they have the uh, they have the Doctor Who magazine strip, are they going to, they're probably sitting there thinking, are they going to want to buy this? Um, and then there's all of us who remember it from the 90s going, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> Yeah, it would be interesting to see what a, what a kid would make of it. Actually, I, I I think they would love it. To be honest, it's 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 colourful, it's it's pacey. There's, there's nothing lot. that really dates it, apart from mm. maybe some of the, some of the technology names and things like that, which are very of their time, um, very space. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah. it, at the same time, it's. Um, it's just beautiful, um, and I think anyone that appreciates comic art mm. would would adore this. So I, I wonder because you know it was in a fairly popular comic for the time. I wonder if it had much of an influence outside of um, Doctor Who on, on comics. I, I'm just saying that because my my favourite image in the whole thing, I think, is there's one with the Dalek with flowers bursting out of it, which literally looks like it came out of an Alan Moore Swamp Thing comic, where because there's at least one one panel in his run where flowers burst out of a human being and like you'd have been about the right age to have read that that's got to be i just feel like it's seeped in i just wonder you know people who went on to do like 2000 ad and all that i just wonder how because you know it was a popular comic with popular characters at the time what its influence is beyond doctor who yeah i mean they say it was selling over half a million at one point so that's that's every child in the country isn't it well almost (laughs) that's a lot isn't it that's a lot. I think. I think, especially with with the the Dalek mania, that that was really picking up at this point. 
um, and just starting on its journey. And this ran for, what was it? It was three years, wasn't it? So it, that would have run all the way through Dalek Mania. Um, mm. Everybody who was either a kid or a teenager in the 60s was, was seeing this in one form or another. Because I guess even if you were a fan of the Jerry Anderson stuff, which was what the, the rest of the comic was made up of, if you're a kid, you're going to read the whole comic, aren't you? And, and you wouldn't really need any knowledge of Doctor Who to, to enjoy these. It costs, it costs seven pennies. You weren't going to waste that. You were going to read every single panel, yeah. <laughs> even, if, even if you weren't there for the Daleks specifically. But they had pride of place, didn't they? So, uh, yeah. It's funny you were reading about the amounts. I was reading in the, uh, the the comic strip companion by Paul Schoons. Um, he's, he's done a bit of research uh, on this, and the BBC were paid five pounds for every every issue. Um, but they said that they paid Terry Nation like way over the odds, basically, for <laughs> compared to what they were paying, uh, you know, for the other properties in it. So I guess it's probably why it was dropped when Dalek Mania started to wane a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, they were just expensive. <laughs> Was anybody else surprised that the Daleks only say exterminate once in the whole collection? Yes, yes. I was waiting for it. I, I, yeah. But they don't, I mean, do they even say it in their first TV story? I can never remember. I feel like maybe they say it once briefly, but Daleks shouting exterminate over and over, I, I feel doesn't maybe become a thing into later on in That's the 60s. Yeah, that's right. The, 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 I think they say we will, they will be exterminated or something in, at one point in the first story, but then uh, it's not until a few a few little while down the line that it becomes a catchphrase. Some, someone wrote an article about them saying the Daleks spent three years as creatures in search of a catchphrase. And, um, <laughs> it, there's a brilliant, the, the, red, the red Dalek gets to say in this one, um, the, the one another one of my favourite speech bubbles is the red Dalek saying, blow that cloud away! Yeah. <laughs> caught on as well. Uh, it did not. It was a bit specific on clouds, so it didn't catch on. <laughs> but the, that's the, I mean, the Daleks aren't. Are, are they? Yeah, they are evil, aren't they? In this, they are still subjugating races and being generally evil. But you sort of you do feel worried at the end of an episode where one of them's in peril. Yeah. <laughs> I think it says in in the introduction that they they, they do become anti-heroes, don't they? They're they're, mm. the, they're the villains that you love to hate. Um, and they're so charismatic in this. They really are a, a driving force that makes you want to see how their journey is going to turn out. Yeah, and like you were saying before, Jeff, the um, the, the battle in one of the, in one of the first early ones. There's this power struggle between the, the existing Emperor Dalek and this starts, and uh, and yeah, I was really rooting for the real Emperor. I don't know about you guys, but I was like. <laughs> Yeah. He's not the emperor. He can't take over just because he's got a shiny, shiny atom-proof dome. Yeah. Yeah. Who's this poxy upstart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do feel your allegiances switch, don't you? Because when it's uh, when it's the kids and stuff in the last story, you kind of thinking, well, you don't want to see them gunned down. Um, I, th- I think my favourite thing about about those the, the, that those last group of humans is that that is the bloke, the, the space captain, or whatever he is, is so stiff off a lip to the point where like the, the children's parents get blown up, and he basically he says to the the boy, basically, mustn't tell your sister, she's just a hysterical girl. And they're, and they're like, she's like, why are we going back to the spaceship? 
No, we're not going back to the spaceship. Don't question why. <laughs> they really reminded me of John and Gillian, uh, the first Doctor's grandchildren from the from the strips and the annuals. Mm. Uh, I don't know yeah, what I'm that, about. That last one feels like a backdoor pilot, doesn't it? Like they're trying out these characters with maybe tempted to say we'll keep these going if, if when we lose the Daleks, but um, they decided not to. It was just a hunch. Because they were the first, they were just the first humans. Right, but the Daleks keep calling them androids. And I couldn't decide if that was just weird. Or if we were, or if we're meant to think that the Daleks mistakenly believe that anything that looks like a human is an android. Or, they do or, that with the, um, with the resurrected original Daleks as well, don't they? In that later one. Um, they yeah. call, they refer to it as an android. Any humanoid. Fact. Any humanoid they seem to call android, and I was trying to work out whether that was an older meaning of it, um, like human-like or something, or whether they just uh, so unfamiliar with um, with just kind of uh, life in terms of uh, you know not not mechanized. That <laughs> I just think the K two robots scared them silly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're just obsessed with androids now. He is amazing. He and then there's some. Did, did he go on to anything else? I don't know. I, 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 he just looks like he should be the star of something. Yeah. Just he loomed just, larger in my memory than like I was really surprised how little he's in this, given how much I could remember him. Um, it obviously made made quite an impression of me, and I, I must have thought he was a much bigger character in the whole thing than he really is. I mean, if we're talking about terms like Android being misused, uh, they do describe Earth as being the next universe over. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that a bit like Robert Holmes constantly using the word constellation. And he's like, do you mean star system? Um, I was wondering if it was something similar like that. Like they thought, like, you know, David Whitaker thought Android meant something it didn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like Earth is the next universe over. I'm like, that's quite trippy. <laughs> I don't think they mean it like that. Oh, well, maybe this maybe this is another. It's an alternate uh, universe oh, version of the Daleks. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, what this is. It's... Where we've got Yarveling instead of Davros. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now I can see why. If you if you had been six when you bought this in in the mid sixties, uh, and then uh, what? what um, a few years later, ten years later, you're a teenager and you sit down on this, and there's this Davros being wheeled around in a pushchair you're going to be up in arms about this uh, this complete sacrilege to the established dalek history aren't you because <laughs> they're um it's not even blue no hashtag not my davros i quite like the um <laughs> i quite like the uh callback to the comics in i davros where davros's sister is yavel uh oh, which is of course a little tribute to Yarveling, so I like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So maybe Daleks are like Cybermen, and they arise any in every universe, which gets us out of a few things, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> I like the magnetic sand as well. I, I want magnetic sand. Is that that thing that they sell children at Christmas on the adverts? The Does it kill them? Sand. The intelligent yeah. sand that you can shape and it just goes back into sand. It's right. really weird. But yeah, that's what magnetic sand reminds me of. And of course, we get that shot of the Daleks rising up out of the sand. And that must be before the chase. Yeah, there's so much influence. In that. And, and um, 
a lot of the the Daleks being deep. There's, there's a planet where they go and they and they're telling the people that they're their friends. Yeah. Uh, when they've just arrived, and actually they're just scoping the place out, ready for conquest. Um, but that that's that's a dry run for power of the Daleks, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and the sort of the human factor with the the flower power Daleks as well, isn't it? Is uh, it's David Whittaker as well, isn't it? For for all of the Daleks. I, lo- I love the plan on that planet when they've got that weapon and they make a dummy version of it and swap them over. <laughs> Take a big packing crate into the museum yeah. and swap them over. <laughs> the biggest laugh I did reading this whole thing was at the panel just after that where the, the leader of these really stupid people who deserve everything they get was <laughs> says, don't worry. Yes, we let the Daleks go into our, um, our museum where we keep the most powerful gun in the universe, but it can only be used if I use the key, which I keep in this box. <laughs> and he opens the box and he's like, it's not... <laughs> See, that automatically made me think of Keys of Marinus. And I yeah. couldn't help wonder. <laughs> yeah. Is that one the Pentaray? Or is that an Yeah, that's the Pentaray, which is ama- an amazing. It's an alpha, infra, omega, ultra, and beta rays all in one ray. That is that's that's a serious ray. That's like the sort of uh, Mac 5 razor of uh, <laughs> yeah. space rays, isn't it? <laughs> Only four blades? Yeah. <laughs> you need five. <laughs> I mean, the whole leaving a fake version there, it just made me think of there's an old Imanda Anucci sketch where there's a couple looking around the house and they suddenly realise it's just made of paper. And they're going, it's all made of paper. What is this? And that's kind of what I imagine the weapon. They're just like, it's just paper. How have we left in here? <laughs> oh, I like the fact that the Golden Emperor has an inflatable Golden Emperor to use as a decoy. <laughs> He got it from the Scar gift shop that no one ever visits. He's like, what do you mean he's not selling? Clara <laughs> yeah. um, Oswald bobbleheads that, that, that are now been dumped in Cardiff Bay. There were so many of them left at Doctor Who exhibition when it closed. There's, uh, I'm not really much up on, on Star Trek, like, um, but I, there's a cartoon like of the original Star Trek, isn't it, from the 60s? And isn't the one where they have an inflatable enterprise that I might be misremembering this. Where oh, I'm going to have to look this up now. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, I haven't seen these since I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure I remember there's one where an inflate, they sort of launch an inflatable enterprise out the back of the real enterprise as a decoy. <laughs> you know a red that shirt has sounds, to blow that up. That sounds plausible. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an enterprise-shaped kite. <laughs> I've just googled all it's, I've just googled it, but all it's showing me is loads of actual inflatable USS Enterprises, which you can actually buy. That's going on my Christmas list now. I think probably shouldn't mention the fact that I used to have an inflatable Dalek, then should I? The the movie Daleks that they brought out. Yes. Yeah. What's that? They look great. They were great, apart from the slow puncture, so he wilted and became a bit <laughs> impotent looking after a while. <laughs> They're like the one that crumples when the Earth's magnetic core goes on. Yes. <laughs> that story where the, um, I can't remember the names of the, uh, the the monsters from the Lake of Mutations, the, the two-headed things, there's some great Terracons. stuff. The Terracons, where they're crushing the Daleks under their claws. Um, there's some, some really cool uh, looking... There's uh, a really uh, flat one, uh, isn't there, with just yeah. a toy stalk sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, which falls under the uh, the 
just kind of uh, trouble with their uh, <laughs> where they live storylines, doesn't it? That they live next to this. Uh, I do uh, think well, I prefer those. I do think the the the, the trouble on planet Scaro stories are <laughs> far more interesting and a bit more because it's on their home ground. I don't know. It just gives us more of a picture of these Daleks. It's great. Great stuff. I think the, yeah. the great thing about the, the mutations is that at one point the Emperor goes, I did think about poisoning the lake, but they're quite useful. And it's like, who have they killed apart from Daleks? Because we've <laughs> seen you raised a few times now, and this is the first time they've killed anyone. So <laughs> might want to rethink that. Six panels later, the Emperor's going, help! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the first story where the emperor is off on one of his one of his moderately unsuccessful missions and then he come, comes back to base again there's like a cutaway and and the next story it's like what happened while the emperor was away and the black daleks in charge and basically everything goes to shit and there's a there's a nuclear leak and and the rust starts killing everyone and it just reminded me there used to be a um an insurance advert on tv in the 90s and 80s maybe where the, the parents are away and the kids have had a party and trashed everything and they're desperately trying to get everything fixed before the parents get back and that's just like with the emperor dalek trundling up here i am jules scaro is going to be just fine how i left it <laughs> and he gets there just as the black dalek is like scooshing the last of the killer sand out the way and yes it's fine everything's fine i, I, I was picturing the um mitchell and webb sketch the henemore sketches just like whatever you do don't make the sand radioactive and dangerous it's like, okay <laughs> <laughs> He does put an awful lot of faith in his subordinates, doesn't he? Yeah. You'd think he'd learn after the first time, maybe the second. <laughs> yeah, you can tell him he's not that, but because he's happy, he is happy to delegate. Davros has the opposite problem. <laughs> yes, yeah. The, the great thing about the Black Dalek is he literally goes around infecting everyone with the dust, with the rust, it turns out. And then and the Emperor Dalek goes, I can't kill you, you're too useful. <laughs> because he makes you look good. <laughs> and then there's the Dalek brain machine as well, which obviously no one's asking questions to, given half the decisions they're making. <laughs> and when it does, when they do consult it, it normally tells them what they've already decided anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, useful advice like defeat your enemies and things like that. Come out they just ignore the other advice it gives like don't just leave two Daleks behind on a planet you've just conquered did you feel the the war with the mechanoids was a bit of an anticlimax? I I couldn't remember what, what happened with it but I felt like we were building up to this huge intergalactic conflict and then uh, it was a bit of a st- bit of a next generation ending where it was averted at the last minute wasn't it yeah, that's the way, thanks to 2K, is into, into ro- um, robot, I said, sexy robot 2K, I don't know what he's <laughs> a damn sexy robot, uh, and, and due to his intervention, uh, a war is averted, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, this war could have destroyed the entire cosmos, but fortunately, I've tricked them into not fighting, oh, that's, that I mean, where was... <laughs> Where was K2 for the time war, I think, is the real question you have to ask, you know, if he's that good. <laughs> he, was, he was sitting it out somewhere. <laughs> he went home, didn't he? I'm going home now. <laughs> I liked his branded little um, kind of uh, space bike thing that he had, that he had yeah. 2K uh, on the back of it, like um, like personalised plates that was uh, for an undercover <laughs> mission. Was, uh, 
I like the fact he had a drill in his head. I don't know why that just amused <laughs> me so much. <laughs> I'm sure drill head's an insult somewhere, but... It's just if he's using it and he gets stuck, does he then just spin round and round and round <laughs> on the spot? <laughs> <laughs> but he was the only person ever to escape the Daleks' magnet trap. There's a lot of magnets in this, isn't there? And you would have thought that the robot like him would be particularly in peril from a giant magnet. And somehow he drills his way away from it. <laughs> I have this theory that writers in the 60s didn't know what magnetism was because you've got this going, all these stories where they talk about magnetism in a way that doesn't quite make sense. And then in America, you've got Stanley writing Magneto and obviously doesn't he has no idea what magnets actually do because he's like, yes, this means he can fly and do this and control people's <laughs> minds. And you're like, really, Stan? He's like, absolutely. This is how magnetism works. <laughs> oh, Whitaker Whitaker loves his alchemical science doesn't he I imagine him living in something that looks like Frankenstein's lab um, with all electric sparks and Tesla coils and things like that uh, and that just sings through in things like that magnetism and it's, it's, it's a very fantasy based science I think mm-hmm. yeah because you get that one race they have that, that pool that you can look into that shows you the future that everyone ignores uh, even though they're trying to think tell the future. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah, well, we're science and we can tell the future by looking to this water. Yeah, and it says some evil robot's going to come and kill us. Oh, well, that's obviously nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> well, why did you have it if you're going to ignore it? <laughs> Sorry, I used the robot word for Daleks. Edit that out so I don't sound stupid, please. <laughs> or, or, leave it, or leave it in for comic effect, whichever you prefer. <laughs> But there's a bit at the end, actually, where they, uh, when the, uh, the original Daleks turn up, they kind of talk about the Dalek, the the, the Dalek, the, the, the robotic Daleks, as if they're robots, because they talk about positronic, positronic brains. So I think That's... maybe they forgot at some point they weren't robots. And I was surprised to say, I don't know, positronic sounds like the sort of word that was made up in the 80s, but it clearly wasn't. I wonder if this is, is it, it leads into Dalek Invasion of Earth, but also Destiny of the Daleks, then, where where the Daleks have been robotized, basically. I wonder if that's uh, yeah. maybe where that came from a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, they have lost the, the they've they've forgotten they've forgotten. Well, we can <laughs> the Daleks brackets Terry Nation have forgotten that they're not robots. <laughs> you can be both of those things at the same time, and that and, and Destiny works on that basis, doesn't it? Yeah. It's weird in Destiny, though, isn't it? Because there's a, a point where the Doctor picks up a Dalek mutant and then throws it away. So it's it's like he it is acknowledged that they used to be there. But yeah, it's um, I suppose just to work with that logic unpass, mm. isn't it, with the uh, the Mavellans? Yeah, that bit of Blamonji picks up and just flops down again. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because uh, they they shy away from showing us the mutants in this, don't they? The um, the, the oh, first Dalek. If they did show you, you would yeah. die from shock. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's quite a cool thing for kids, isn't it? Because then you, you uh, your mind would just conjure up all these images of, uh, of absolutely horrific things. And it, when when do we first see a Dalek mutant on TV? Because you only see the the claw in the first story, don't you? When they they lift it out. So I think it must be Powell. It must be if Five Doctors, is it? 
Oh no, because you <laughs> see them. Yeah, let's say Power of the Daleks, where they've got oh, one yeah, in, in the bolt. chip pan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fishing them out of the uh, the chip pan fryer, and uh, yeah, which of course we can't actually see though. So yeah, the first time we see them again is by doctors. Yeah. So it's quite far in, isn't it? Hmm. I saw a thing someone said the other day that when they were, it was in a, a blog somewhere, I think someone saying that when they were a kid, they'd missed the um, the episode of The Dead Planet where you saw the Daleks hand, or there was the episode where you just saw the cliffhanger was something beginning to emerge, and then they missed the next episode, and, and it took them 20 years to find out that you didn't actually get to see it in, in, in detail, and in their mind's <laughs> eye, they imagined this hideous creature that probably was in the one episode that they missed. Uh, and but it turned out they didn't miss all that much in terms of uh, in terms of the visual anyway because it was all done with the implication really wasn't it? But I'm 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 really surprised that um, they, uh, they 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 didn't get there wasn't more solo Dalek stuff I guess I guess once um, TV Twenty One gave uh, let the license go because I, I imagine they were really expensive once and once that was done. The, um, they just sort of just went, got merged back into the Doctor Who comics, did they? Because um, once, once somebody made a go of doing the Daleks independently, you would have thought other other companies would have circled and thought a few, you know, when, as they come and go out of fashion. Uh, I'm surprised in the 70s that someone didn't go and come back and have another go at it, sort of thing. But was unless it, the BBC. Was it TV Action that, that took over the licence <clears throat> then, back? Uh, yeah, they, they were doing the regular Doctor Who ones without Daleks. Oh, sorry, no, I'm thinking of TV comic. I'm getting them the wrong way around. Yeah. The 70s uh, see the four Dalek annuals, don't they, mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a separate thing. So you've got the um, the ADF, the anti-Dalek force, uh, and those Joel Shaw and Mark Seven mm. uh, fighting the Daleks. But That's, does Mark Seven have a drill in his head? Doesn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> you would think, but as being a number seven, you think you'd have a drill and a corkscrew and a nail fi- file. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things of getting stones out of horses' shoes that no one's ever used. Yeah. <laughs> I think when Eagle Moss start to run out of um, of characters and aliens from the TV show, they should turn their attention to, to 2K. Um, and those robots that the that the aliens bring that the Build the build the city inside the volcano crater. Yes, they're yeah, quite yeah, funky yeah. looking as well. I'd um, I'd buy a figure of those. And that's a that story is a great twist. Having the aliens turning up to uh, to enslave the Daleks. Is yeah. that when they really start becoming <laughs> our heroes? I think it is, isn't it? That's when we start oh, yeah. really rooting for them to to get their planet back and become yeah. become a bit nicer. Yeah, <laughs> be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Those robots are called, they were really like 1930s Rocket Man style robots. They're called the yeah. NG Brains, like engine. That's it, yeah. yeah. NG Brains. Yeah, they, they'd make a cool figure as well. Might be fairly limited appeal, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think Eagle Moss might do uh, production stuff before they do that. Well, it's fine because I'm looking forward to my Verity Lambert module lighting a cigarette off a mechanoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With real smoking action. Because <laughs> <laughs> this t- this does the, the the um there was so much merchandise around at this time for things the, the um the, the 
the first half of it in particular, where the, the style is a bit more old fashioned, isn't it? And it almost could be like from the fifties really reminds me of um, the art that was in my brother's fireball XL five um, Thunderbirds annuals. Uh, I've got an older brother. And, and uh, so some of this stuff from like the early seventies and late sixties was, was, was laying around the house and these series that I hadn't seen at the time, but I, I saw, I think it, I think it looks like it cause it was the same artist. That's why uh, uh, it was, that was the house style for the, for the Jerry Anderson stuff. And, and it's, it's interesting that they thought, the, the the people doing this this magazine TV TV Century Twenty One that was the uh, the big rival to the Eagle which is the uh, the Dan Dare one um, they they clearly thought yeah Daleks were having them they'll go people who like Thunderbirds and and Stingray are gonna are gonna love a bit of Dalek action it was um there was straight to it, even though it's from a different it's the only thing from a completely different uh, what would you call it cinematic universe has not been coined at that point a <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, completely different oeuvre <laughs> but um. Uh, it still fits with fits with all that kind of puppet puppet adventures because you get the little news flashes, don't you, in the bottom corner of the page that they've lovingly recreated as well. Yeah, a lot of which are about the doings of Steve Zodiac from Fireball XL Five. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with Jerry Anderson stuff. Um, is that all set in the same universe? Do they do like the Thunderbirds ever meet Stingray and stuff like that? No, oh, right. So you mean yeah? No, not, not they don't do crossover episodes. But there's right. you occasionally get a mention, and so so it is just it's accepted. At least, anyways, for, for me, as when I was watching them as a kid, I, I, it felt like it was the same. Well, actually, no, Fireball XL Five is set 100 years in the future, so it's not that. But but Stingray and Thunderbirds, I, I think there might be tiny, there might be occasional mentions that they are the same world. Yeah, okay. they've all got the same voices as well, suspiciously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there is a nice nostalgic feel to these though that that does hark back to watching those puppet shows as a kid um my stepdad used to collect stingray videos and thunderbirds videos so i've seen nearly all of them um uh, and yeah it absolutely just reeks of that same nostalgia that same innocent peril i think it would maybe be the way to describe it it's it's really weird it's it's adventure for kids that even now as an adult you can look back on and just go this makes me feel all warm inside (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's kind of boys on type stuff isn't it very much yeah i mean the real question is how does this tie into the time law victorious surely Every single publication (laughs) that exists at the moment is being asked of Wuthering Heights. It's being asked of everything everything under the sun. So uh, this must fit in as well, yes. It's lovely that that it's influenced the the Daleks in in that, though. The the Emperor is is, is modelled on uh, the the Emperor from this, isn't it? uh, That's a really nice touch. When the Emperor turned up, the emperor in quotes turned up in um, remembrance of the Daleks with a round dome. That was, mm-hmm. I remember at the time, a big thing being made of that thing. Ah, they're finally make, bringing the comic strip Emperor Dalek to the screens before then the, the shock twist of who it actually was. Um, mm. I was actually disappointed when he turned up that he wasn't bald and didn't have an eye stalk. So yeah, <laughs> it's, um, the, so I must've seen these comics even before the, the collected ones came out. I must have seen at least seen images of them, um, probably in a Peter Haining book somewhere or something, uh, I imagine. Do you think people were shocked in Evil of the Daleks when the Emperor Dalek turned up and looked so different? Yeah, I would be, yeah. 
and, and, and running an antique shop for some reason, which is quite <laughs> <a bit. laughs> you got you got to diversify, you know. <laughs> Extermination costs a lot of money. I was going to say the quality of his plans obviously hadn't changed in the in the change of casing. So, uh... what if David Whittaker was shocked that he didn't look like that when he, <laughs> when he just wrote Emperor Dalek is is uh, in the throne room? <laughs> and they thought, well, they're bound to know what the Emperor Dalek looks like, and they uh, they went a completely different way with it. I imagine there were. I mean, it, I wish we'd had 1960s Twitter, so we could see the flame <laughs> wars between the comic purists and the TV purists from then. It'd have been amazing. <laughs> It'd be endless petitions that oh, I don't know. Innis Lloyd must go. David Whittaker must go. Put your put your name in here, really. You know, must leave at once. I can't do the Not My Emperor gag because you've already done the Not My Davros one, so. <laughs> Actually, I thought before when you, you were talking about how it's um, it's got that sort of um, innocent like childhood adventure stuff, um, that point where the guy throws himself off the balcony rather than um, give his uh, give the secrets up to the Dalek, I thought was quite um, quite brutal, wasn't it? That really stands out, doesn't it? It's it's like, whoa, hang on a minute, this took a turn. Yeah, yeah, it really catches you, doesn't it? It's just you, you see him as tiny figure up in the distance, and they're, they're describing what, what's happening. And yeah, yeah, that is a real, a real, a real uh, shocker. And that story ends there. I was expecting to go on a little bit longer because the uh, the populace of that city and our fugitives. It seems like the Daleks are going to stay around and hunt them, but we, we don't get to see any more of their plight, do we? They just cough and hide, don't they? And that's it. Daleks go out, find out what, what the Black Daleks done wrong this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the babysitter on the phone. We've got to go back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in The Simpsons when uh, Smithers goes on holiday and, and leaves Homer as the... <laughs> as the <laughs> So do we think, is this is this a one-off? Is, is there anything, so my, my comic knowledge, as you could probably gathered, is, is, is really patchy. Is, is, is there anything else up their sleeves, do we know, that, that, could, that could follow this? There aren't any Cyberman comics that have, well, there was, wasn't there? There was Croton the Cyberman, that, but that was in Doctor Who magazine, wasn't it? A, a, the Cyberman who had his own spin-off. I'm trying to think of other, sp- yeah. other, other comic spin-offs, basically, that might surface. I don't think there are any other spin-offs. They, I don't think there's ever been a collection of the 60s, um, as these far as another sixties comics, um, or like Pertwee's TV action stuff, or anything like that, like all, all, all the Doctor Who magazine stuff is pretty well. It's almost entirely all collected now. I think they've pretty much made up the gap. But there's a lot of that kind of more archive material that I mean, I'd love to get. Yeah, they were in classic comics, weren't they, back in the nineties? But. There's that lovely panel of Pertwee running away from a black and red Dalek and he's shooting at him. And that picture just, that's what I think of when I think of Doctor Who comics. It's bizarre. Um, I think that and the flower Dalek, where the the flowers coming out of the eye stalk that you mentioned earlier, Adam. I think that those are pictures that just automatically spring to mind when I think of Doctor Who comics or classic Doctor Who comics anyway. Yeah, I mean, I know exactly the Pertwee one you're referring to, and I've never read it, but I've seen it once. And it, yeah, you're right. It's a great drawn, great uh, panel, and it does stick in your head. Graphic novel that Colin Baker wrote is the next thing to be released, and that's not a spin off. Um, 
but again, that was from the 90s, wasn't it? I don't think it was actually... It was originally... It was going to be in the Doctor Who magazine comic strip, um, but then for scheduling and whatever, it never was, and they brought it out as a as a standalone release. That's getting a reprint as well. Ooh. Age of Chaos, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be worth a look. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> I think I, I'm not... Like, like Pete, I'm not overly familiar with all of the Doctor Who comics, apart from the classic comics that I was collecting back when they were being issued um, and this. Um, but it does make you want to see more, doesn't it? A lot more. Mm. You want, It just makes you think of all of the spin-offs we could have. Um, I'm waiting for the Quarks one next, so uh, yeah. bring that on. And I'm just waiting for them to release whichever Patrick Charleston strip it is where he's shooting creatures screaming, die, you horrible creature, die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I argue um, is more in keeping with the second doctor than anyone wants to admit. But then. Yeah, yeah. There's that moment which, when the first time I saw the Silurians, I just thought it was kind of funny when the cliffhanger is resolved by the Silurian walks up to the doctor and the resolution is the doctor shakes his hand and says, Good evening, and something like that. How are you? Yeah. Uh, but thinking about it, that came after three years of Troughton just murdering the hell out of anything that looked remotely <laughs> alien. <laughs> <laughs> Drown wouldn't go out to an ice warrior and shake its claw. Uh, that must have been a real shock to the viewers. That's all we have time for. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I will put links in the show notes to where we can find you on Twitter and your various other podcasting endeavours. And thank you very much for listening at home. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>